You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Listener Questions Live Friday afternoon for some, Friday morning for others, and we are here, John and myself are here to answer your questions, and that is no joke on this April Fool's. We are all business. That kind of is a joke. Um, But John, the man with the stylish jacket, I love that thing. I was telling you before we took the air, I love that thing. John, what's going on, buddy? Happy Friday to you. Happy April Fool's to you as well. Happy April Fool's to you as well. It's not a joke. It's kind of cold in my apartment. I wish this was more just a fashion statement, but I'm just... (laughs) I'm trying not to turn on my heat. It's April, for God's sake. You know, I'm trying to take a stand. (laughs) That's right. Take a stand. Well, regardless, you are you are killing two birds with one stone. There, looking stylish, staying warm. I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, we're going to be answering all of your questions here coming up. We've got a number of live chats, a number of ways you can get in touch with us. You can call or text 949-542-6241. We've already got a lot of texts queued up uh, in there that we're going to try and get to. We've got live chats on the Cincy Jungle post on the website there, on our YouTube channel, live chat there, Facebook chat. There's a live chat on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. And of course, you can try and email us, theobinsider at gmail.com. You can tweet at the podcast account at Bengals OBI or John and I's personal accounts. Um, Either way, we're going to be scanning a lot of different things and getting to as many Bengals questions as possible. We'll try and keep it somewhat serious on this April Fool's Day. By the way, John, have you noticed how wacky Twitter is on April Fool's Day? You got Julian Edelman saying he's coming back. You got people posting these wacky pictures. They, Twitter takes it to the next level this this April Fool's Day. Yeah, I feel like you have to do that when it's really early in the morning when people are still kind of like half awake <laughs> because at this point, yeah. like everyone knows the date and like that should be like a forewarning for anything that you see. But you got people posting stuff at noon and people freaking out about it. So that's kind of on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, do, where do you want to start, my friend? Where are we where are we starting? So we're going to go to the Cincy Jungle comment section and you can post these questions on the post on CincyJungle.com. We have one from U A W B R I four one two, and they're asking, "Do you think the Bengals make any more free agency moves before the draft to shore up the holes at cornerback and defensive tackle, or do you think they wait and see how the draft plays out before signing any more veterans to fill?" So we're now two and a half, three weeks into free agency. There's still kind of a lack of depth, I would say, at both of those positions, and probably positions that uh, Anthony and I would have expected them to address by now, but. It hasn't happened. We're now four weeks away from the draft. So what do you think, Anthony? Are we foreseeing any more moves here or are we just waiting until the draft? So uh, the big part of me is saying they're going to wait till after the draft and they're going to they're going to kind of scour 
the free agent. They're going to see how the chips fall in the draft, who they get, what positions they get, what areas they still need to address. And then they'll start scouring kind of those veterans out there on rental deals, short-term deals that they can get as kind of a bargain bin type of type of situation. The one, you know, there are a couple of caveats out there. There's been some rumors and I know there's, there've been some Stefan Gilmore rumors and may that may or may not, you know, come to fruition. It sounds like it's not very likely, but he's hanging on out there. Uh, you know, who knows exactly what's going on, what he's asking for that teams are just not moving towards. You've heard the Raiders be involved, potentially the Bengals putting an offer out there. So I, if they make a move, I don't think it's going to be, something they are super aggressive about. I think it's going to be something where, hey, you know, we have an offer out to this player and it's going to work. The one caveat there, um, and I haven't I haven't looked this morning yet to see if there's been an update, but yesterday I think it was Larry Ogunjobi put out one of those cryptic, you know, ooh, eyeball, you know, what's going to happen type of tweets. And that has gone, that's another thing that's gone back and forth with the Bengals potentially. So that's one to watch. But I, truthfully, I think it's going to be a post-draft, I mean, may, maybe some, some, added depth signing, but I, I don't see a splashy one necessarily before the draft. I think it's going to be, let's see where the draft goes and then kind of look for these rental deals to fill out some other roster spots after the draft. If they didn't get certain players they were targeting. If you look at just the, in general, who is available right now, it's a lot of guys that the Bengals wouldn't normally sign. Or when I say that, I just mean like they're going off of their tendencies in the past three years. I've heard Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, Stefan Gilmore, we can even throw J.C. Treader in there. Those guys are all past probably the prime of their careers. Maybe Treader has a one or two more good years left in him. But at this point, I think in general, teams look at those aging players. Maybe they still have some something left in the tank, but they look at the draft as well. And those are four-year contracts for much younger players, players who they, they deem to be better fits in what with what they want to do because they get to mold those players. And that's why I think you see a lot of times some of these well-known and notable names last on the market, because that's just what the teams are thinking about right now. They're going to be probably available after the draft. And that's why it's in these guys' best interest to wait until May to really look at the market again and reevaluate their options, because that's when the demand goes back up in case teams don't draft certain positions that they were expecting to. So at this point, I'm not really expecting anything more than maybe one or two vet minimum deals. But even then, it would be with players who they deem to be absolute perfect fits. And I think Eli Apple is a good example of that last year because he had history with Lou Anarumo. And unless there's a equivalent player out there that we don't know about that has a connection to the coaching staff, I'm not really expecting anything noteworthy at either of those positions. Yeah. So let's go to the text line here. 740. Uh, looks like it's no Noel or Noel from, uh, from Logan, Ohio. Uh, do you get the same vibe I get from Joe Shiesty that he'd take less money in order to make the team more competitive long-term? There's talk about what Brady has done and whatnot. Uh, you know, I'm not inside Joe Burrow's head. And obviously when you see what has happened over the past couple, really this offseason, when you look at the Aaron Rodgers contract, when you look at the Deshaun Watson deal, I'm not sitting here saying that in Joe Burrow's first gigantic contract that he's going to receive in the NFL that he's going to automatically say, I want it. I want a team friendly deal. Now, might he, you know, might he be inclined to not necessarily be the record breaker in terms of a, a contract or what have you? Sure. Where he can, you know, make sure that Jamar Chase stays, T Higgins stays, a lot of these pieces in place stay. 
but I don't think in his first big contract after his rookie one, John, with all of these quarterbacks, one of which in his division that are getting huge, huge, huge contracts now, I don't see him going, ah, that's okay. I'm going to take a big, big pay, you know, a pay cut or a pay break as comparative to these others like Rodgers and Watson. Yeah, I, I don't like the narrative of that spreading. Like, oh, Burrow's the guy that would take less. And then when he doesn't, people will kind of look at him like, oh, you're kind of selfish. You're not really thinking about the team. That's not really fair. He's going to be 26, 27 when he inks that deal. And he deserves quite literally every penny. Uh, I'm a, I'm friends with a Browns fan. And he was joking, like, does Mike Brown need to offer, like, a percentage of the team in negotiations for Burrow? Because... One way or the other, like they're going to have to break their tendencies with how they, they negotiate that contract. I don't think it's going to be the total money that Burrow, quote unquote, takes less of. He's still going to get an average annual value that is equivalent to the other top quarterbacks or even breaks that mark. It, it might be the structure that's a little bit different compared to top quarterbacks because that's just in general how the Bengals do business. But yeah. also, if there's one player that's going to break that's going to make them break those tendencies. It's probably going to be Burrow. So his leverage is infinite, and there's no reason why he should not utilize that when it comes to now. And let's let's just pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, are the Bengals going to pay him? The Bengals have shown that they will pay their quarterbacks. They will pay their wide receivers. They will pay their premier offensive tackles. When you look back at the Carson Palmer era, they paid everybody very, very well and paid them at those skilled positions top dollar. So I, I I don't think there's going to be any kind of, you know, major issue here. And I think the Bengals obviously recognize the value that Joe Burrow has had on their organization in, you know, two, two very uh, <laughs> short seasons. So, um, you know, I just, I don't, I don't see there being a problem going forward here. We do have a caller on the line, John. It's Dave, I think from Canada. Dave, are you there? Oh yeah, I'm here. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. How are you guys doing? We're we're doing well. Good to hear from you. That's good. That's good. Uh, just a quick question for you guys. With our signings of Kappa, Collins, and Karras, what do you think would be a realistic sack projection for us this year since we took 50 last year during the regular season? Ooh, that's a great question. That's a good wow. question. That's a very good question. Dave, good to hear from you, bud. We're going to answer it off the air. Don't be a stranger and uh, call back again sometime soon, my friend. Perfect. Thanks. You guys enjoy. All right. Take care. That's a fantastic question. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I, it's not like I'm sitting here saying, you know, those three players are going to just cut it in half or those three. I mean, they could, I think there's going to be a noticeable dip, but I also think you have to take into account just the overall pressures, the overall quarterback hits, all of that are going to decrease. It's not just the sacks That'll decrease. I mean, I guess conservatively, I'd say, you know, the Bengals may with those three additions, if you're talking about 50, uh, 50 sacks in in uh, the regular season for Joe Burrow, you know, I guess I guess I'd say maybe 30 to 35. Um, and, and that's more palatable, far more palatable. Uh, that may not be, you know, what people are signing up for with these three signings. But, you know, I, with that comes the lessening of pressures, the lessening of quarterback hits, and then hopefully also some more consistency out of the run game and Joe Mixon because he's finally playing behind a what what would seem to be his most competent offensive line since he's been with the Bengals yeah sacks are sometimes most of the time misleading um I think in general people would say that the Cleveland Browns had one of the very best offensive lines in the league last year they allowed 49 sacks 
which is six less than the Bengals, I think, of the regular season. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots, Kansas City Chiefs, they are the only teams offensive lines to allow less than 30. And I'm I'm seeing Robert Johnson in the comments. He thinks they're only going to allow 30. Antonio Dudley thinks it's between 10 and 20, which would be wow. impossible. Right. I I, I don't know. I, I, I would imagine it's definitely going to be notably less just because the quality of players are better. It could still be 40, and that still might be a product of just who Joe Burrow is, the guy that wants to extend and maybe holds the ball a little bit too long. But I think in general, like the pass block win rate, I think that's important. They were like bottom five in that. I can see that mm-hmm. being more towards league average, and that will naturally decrease the sacks a lot. But it's just there's, there's so many variables that go with sacks that it's hard for me to say that three upgrades is going to lead to 20 less sacks. I would say I, between like 35 and 40, which is about league average, and I think that's, that's pretty fair for the group right now. I agree, and you brought up the point that I was going to add and did not about Burrow and who Burrow is. His ad-libbing and uh, moving around in the pocket, he takes some of that on his own. And and obviously, there's all kinds of variables, like you said. Um, you know, coverage sacks and and other things that that play into that. So, you know, I don't see I don't see it getting cut in half, like you said, but I see some of these other metrics really um, increasing and you're, you're going to see the difference. I mean, there's a, there's no doubt about that. You're going to see you're going to see a noticeable difference. Uh, who else? Uh, where are we going next, John? I think I took the last one from you with the call there. So you're up. Yeah. So we got one from let's, let's continue on with the Dan trend. You know, Dan, the man in YouTube, he's asking what, if any, expectations do you guys have for Joseph Sai and or wide Hubert this season? So, yeah, they had not one, but two rookie defensive ends who missed the entirety of last season. And honestly, Anthony, I feel like it's going to be similar to like the linebackers of the, the last two years where they added a bunch of edges in the draft. And like, I think they're counting on both of those guys to eventually carve out a role. But like, what are the expectations for Osai and even Hubert, who we've never seen play in the Bengals uniform at this point? I actually asked Marion Hobby this the week of the Super Bowl through some of the virtual press conferences there. And I asked about the additions of the rookies and um, obviously, you know, a lot of the players on the defensive line that they that came in that this last year, Hill, Ogunjobi, Hendrickson, and then, of course, these two guys right here. Uh, and he he had a lot of praise for these two guys. He liked what he saw from them, even though it was very short lived. And obviously they were high enough to draft both of them in terms of my expectations for them. I think Hobby has expect pretty high expectations for them based on what he said, but my expectations, I have high expectations for Joseph Osai. Uh, I, I just, even though it's been one, it was one preseason game. Um, dude is an athletic freak. And it's one of those guys that quote unquote, if he figures it out, you know, if, if that raw ability turns into true football ability, he's going to be, he's going to be a matchup problem. And I, I I'm, what I'm really interested to see is what the Bengals do in the draft in terms of edge rusher, because it, down the stretch when they lost Larry Ogunjobi and obviously guys were taking high amounts of snaps in the postseason, the pass rush wasn't really where it was at certain points in the postseason, as opposed to some games we saw in the middle of the regular season where they were really getting after people. And so I'm really curious to see what the Bengals do in terms of edge rusher, because that'll tell me exactly how high they are on these two and or what the expectations are in year two for these guys coming off of injury. Yeah. I don't foresee them adding an edge. That's necessarily going to like challenge Osai to be that third guy in rotations with 
Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard, but I'm looking at the rest of the depth chart. They got seven guys, but one of them is Noah Spence. Camp Sample didn't really do that much last year, and Khalid Kareem he had moments, but he was mainly hurt. So I think Hubert has a great opportunity to carve out not just a roster spot, but maybe like that fourth spot behind uh, Osai and mm-hmm. the starters. So, you know, expectations. He's still a seventh round pick, but I think he has good bend to him. Like that was the bright spot of his athleticism profile. And, you know, they drafted him in the seventh round instead of waiting to get him as an undrafted free agent. So, you know, I think the expectations are that he makes the roster and that he just is he's probably active on game days because of special teams as well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how he goes, but he's got to stay healthy first. Good question there. And it's kind of one of those things, if you want to be an optimist about it, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, oh, the Bengals get a couple extra draft picks uh, coming back with with the injuries there. Let's go to we had do we have a text. Oh, no, we had a tweet here and it's from Westy 1121 at Kane 21014. Uh, if the Bengals draft a cornerback at 31, do you think they'll start day one, John Sharon? I think it's 50-50 at that point. The cornerback is, I think it's become easier, maybe. Maybe the level, the quality of rookie cornerbacks has maybe increased. But it, it's always been, like, like the trope is that it's hard for cornerbacks to emulate themselves within the NFL pretty early. And that's why in years past, you never really saw rookie cornerbacks for the Bengals produced early like Kirkpatrick and Denard maybe they had some injury issues but they didn't really get acclimated with uh with with themselves until maybe later in their careers William Jackson missed his entire rookie season I think the plan though would be for him to compete with Eli Apple and it's completely up to him if he can outplay Eli Apple and we all know who Apple is at this point that's why he's only getting four million for a year but I think they're okay enough with him to start if he has to it might be somewhat of a red flag if the cornerback that they select with the first round pick can't beat him out but it's entirely possible and it doesn't mean that he's going to be a bad player for the entirety of his career i think it is though 50 50 and he could have a phenomenal training camp in preseason and bump down apple to the fourth cornerback spot and if not then he's got some time because apple can give them one one more solid year i'm with you but i also think that it is 50-50, maybe in a different sense, where maybe Apple is the guy that starts the season and and then the rookie ends up supplanting him potentially. I mean, I'll I'll go a little further back even than Denard and Kirkpatrick. You go back to Jonathan Joseph, first-round pick in 2006, started nine games, played in 16. Leon Hall, uh, year after, first-round pick, started 10 games as a rookie, uh, played in 16. So, I mean, they weren't... They weren't, you know, the guys that were immediately called upon to start all 16 games, even though they really, especially with Hall, they liked the maturity. They liked all kinds of different things with him, his pro readiness. So, I, you know, I think that um, if the Bengals go with a cornerback at 31, it would depend on who, which, which cornerback that is and how pro ready they seem to be at this point in time. But also I, I just see it more as a, you know, maybe as the year goes on, then then a starting role or a more prominent role would, would take place with a rookie corner. Yeah, and that that would be a totally fine uh, path for them to take. We're going to go back to the comment section on the website. We got one from Donnie Scott. He's asking, how do you feel about the prospect of trading down from the 31st pick? They have traded down in round two and four of the last five drafts. Probably not much value in trading down from pick 63. The trading pick 31 could give them extra picks in rounds three and four. So it's a good question because they have traded down a lot around that area. They haven't picked this late in the first round since what, 1988. 
So they're in kind of unique territory here, but there is value of trading out of the first round. You go back four years ago, the Ravens traded back up to the 30, 32nd pick, excuse me, to pick Lamar Jackson. That is a scenario where if there is a quarterback that falls and teams just want to get him on the fifth year option, that's an option there. But in general, you know, the end of the first round, it's like teams are maybe rushing back in there to get their guy because the draft is going on. And then you take a recess and in, for the start of day two. So I would think that it's, it's entirely possible. And I think they get good value just because it is a first round pick, but I don't think trading down just for the sake of trading down is like kind of in the plans, even though that's more or less their tradition around that spot. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying, I'm struggling to find Was this in the live chat on the, it was on the uh, jungle page, the, the post. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, trading down for the sake of trading down. It's just, I, Personally speaking, I was actually thinking about this today. I'm kind of like, you know, I uh, I would be pretty bummed if the Bengals didn't have a pick on that first night, just selfishly speaking. You know, there's the luster of the first night, you know, even though it's late in the first round and whatnot. Uh, I, the second night of the draft is actually my my favorite night. The second and third round, I, I love that night of the draft. But yeah, I mean, in that first round, I'd be like, dang, that'd be, that'd be a bummer if they didn't end up uh, picking on that, on that evening. But it is what it is, and the Bengals need to... It, it's going to be how the board falls if they move back or what have you. We talked on Wednesday night if the Bengals maybe move up if a guy like Kyle Hamilton ends up falling a little bit further than a lot of people expected. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. So um, we'll we'll see what happens there. We do have a call coming in. I'll get that in just a sec. But, John, can you grab another question here while I get that? Yeah, I, I, just real quick. It wouldn't just be a bummer. It would be us waiting for them to pick and like being on pins and needles to write about it and then them not picking. And I probably wouldn't uh, forgive them for a while about that. Uh, we had just had one quick one from Frank Randolph. If Larry Ogunjobi comes back, what would you guess the contract be? So eh, this, this is interesting because he signed a one year, $6 million deal with, with the team last year. He then signed a three year, $13.5 million deal with the bears. I don't know if he's worth that. I don't know if the Bengals believe that he's worth that. So he's not going to get that now that he didn't get that contract because he failed his physical. Honestly, I could see something similar, maybe slightly less than what he got last year. And again, I don't think that he would love that. That probably wouldn't be his first choice. But at this point, it's just a matter of what teams want him. And he probably should wait until after the draft to get his demand and his value back up. But like right now, like I would guess like one year, five million. And maybe the price goes up in May. I would, yeah, I would say another rental type deal if he comes back to the Bengals. I would actually say it, it might be more just because of the salary cap increase. Maybe it's a little bit higher than what he made last year, but at the same time, he's last year it was more like, well, you got something to prove because you had a dip in production the year before entering free agency. This year, it's it's an injury and a failed physical. So I I, I do see what you're saying in terms of the, the, you know, the money being a little bit less because it's a little bit more of a precarious situation. I do think there are a lot of good situations for Larry Joby out there, but based on what he was able to do on this defense last year, putting up one of, if not his best season as a pro, um, you know, I, I just, I think if the market is dry for him and the Bengals have an offer on the table that maybe was or is similar to what he made last year, he may want to think hard about that based on his injury and based on what he was able to achieve with the Bengals this past season, because, and, and I'm not saying that just as a Bengal Homer guy, I'm just saying it 
it could benefit him. I mean, he was set to have this, even with that injury, like you said, he had that huge contract on the table from the bears because of what he was able to do with the Bengals last year. So, you know, if the market has suddenly gone dry, he may want to think about, you know, a, a deal with the Bengals, a short-term deal with the Bengals and uh, maybe parlaying that into, into one again next year, trying it again. Yeah. And it sucks for him because he does deserve that multi-year commitment, but at this point, like no one should really feel forced to do that. The good news is he's still young enough to play another year and then try his luck again next year. Yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We got our buddy Terrell on the line. John Terrell, what's going on, bud? How you guys doing? We're doing well, man. How's it going? Oh, man. It's, it's a chilly Friday in April, Cincinnati, man. Perfect <laughs> for an indoor facility, I'll tell you that. But, uh, John's got the man, jacket on. We know it's chilly. Oh, my goodness. But, man, um, just real, feeling real good just about everything, man. Just, uh, I know the AFC looking crazy right now, but. Man, we we start we we pretty much loaded up, man. We didn't get to the draft yet. Um, I I think Tyler, uh, well I said Tyler, um, uh, Hurst, uh, hey Hurst, uh, he, he 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 cool, but um, when he go down, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not looking forward for a sample, so I'm looking for another tight end, man. And um, this one guy, man, he he a Bengals fan. I be looking for him online. Um, some bald guy. He's from Seattle or something. Uh, he was just worried about how you know Von Bell and Jesse Bates. They like this basically like they uh, last contract thing, and he 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 uh, he did the simulation thing too, and he picked Klein from uh, Georgia. I said, hey, that that ain't that ain't too bad. That ain't too bad because um, we're just looking out for the future and. And worse kind of worse, and I just uh, think we just loaded up. I, I love the line right now. Um, I still hope, I still think Jackson Carmen got good potential and Deontay Smith. I just feel like, man, we we gonna be having the one. Even our, even if we, even if uh, Collins get down or one of them get down, I think our line's gonna be good. They young, everybody young. I think we just, I think we we gonna have a little dynasty going on for at least eight to ten years plus, man. Well, I hope I so. Eight to ten. That's that's great talking to y'all, man. Always good seeing y'all. I'm always listening to y'all, and uh, you know we we gonna be we gonna be back, man. I don't know about Super Bowl, but we're going to be back in playoffs. Well, I appreciate it, Terrell. Thanks for the compliment. Thanks for calling in as always, my man. And we'll uh, we'll chat about your comments off the air. Take care. Oh, yeah, you take care. All right. Uh, always, always love getting the ego stroke from Terrell. He's always so kind with his words to us and whatnot. But a couple of things here, John. And, I, you know, we talked about tight end with Trey McBride. You did a great breakdown of him on the Wednesday show. And we also talked about the safety stuff and the fact that both the Bengals starting safeties are in contract years here coming up here. So how, you know, we're talking about, you know, with Larry Ogunjobi not back, three technique, uh, a vacancy at cornerback, maybe that, you know, that's where the Bengals go early. But how 
inclined are you to believe that the Bengals may go a surprising positional route early in the draft, maybe to show some forward thinking where instead of these more immediate needs, a corner, a three tech, maybe even an additional offensive lineman, instead they see a safety in the first couple of rounds that makes sense to them or, you know, another area there. It honestly wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, I don't really know that much about the safety class. I've heard good things, but that's just my ignorance talking. Um, No, like it's, it's a very similar situation to them picking Jesse Bates when they did in 2018. They just have, they could have uncertainty about if they're going to get either Bell or Bates locked in long-term. They already signed Bell to one contract. I don't know if they are completely eager to sign him to another they may feel like they don't have a choice if both of them are going to enter contract years. And that leads to decisions like that. So again, I would want to research this safety class a little bit more. I'm still very, very much behind on all of that work, but it wouldn't shock me at all if they pick one like in the second or third round. I don't know if there's one to be picked in the first. I think there's a guy from Georgia. His name's like Klein. Um, any Georgia defender. I think that's who Terrell was talking about. Yeah. yeah any, any Georgia defender, I'm pretty sure is going to be good. So it's possible, but yeah, like I think it's just up there with all the other positions, cornerback, three technique, tight end guard, even. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably put safety as like the fifth or sixth spot right there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, there are times where we seem to be so sure about where the team is going to go with certain positions, especially in recent draft classes. And some of the time we're, we're right. You know, we knew, couple of years ago that it was probably going to be a William Jackson, Tyler Boyd type of situation that just seemed to be, you know, uh, make a lot of sense then. And that's the way they went. But, you know, they're this year, especially with the run they're on and where the, the shape that the roster is in, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things on the table and it's not just the good news is this isn't, you know, this isn't necessarily a situation where they need guys right now to step in. There are some, some caveats to it. There are some positions. I mean, you look at the competition at left guard, someone's got to step up there. You got to look at the other boundary corner position and probably just additional corner depth, three tech, like you said, interior offensive line, like you said, all of that um, is on there, but there could be just some, some forward thinking with some of these picks. That's uh, that, that might be, and people might get up in arms about that, John. I mean, they might say, why do we take, why do they take this position? Why do they, you know, they, we need this with these other guys on the table and uh, they they may end up going a different route. I mean, I think just in general, like what, what position you draft with 31st, I don't think it's that huge of a deal. And ideally, right. if you go to the Super Bowl, you shouldn't necessarily rely that much on your first round pick if your roster is in that good of a shape. But there are, positions where a first round pick could have an impact and you had a good segue into this next question from Zach Taylor's balls on Cincy jungle. And he's asking, okay, who will be the starting left guard opening day? So there are two options we can pick from on the team. There's also the chance that they draft a guy like a Zion Johnson or something like that. It could even be a reunion with Quinn Spain, maybe after the draft. So all those options on the table, like who is the name that you would point to right now as the favorite? That's a really difficult question because favorite and who I think may, may be starting are two different. I, I would have two different opinions. I think the favorite is Jackson Carmen because they want that to work. 
Frank Pollock propped him up uh, at some of these meetings. I think it was maybe at the combine um, earlier and propped him up as, as a person who did, who made uh, really good developmental strides throughout the year and whatnot. But um, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued to see the future of what, of Deontay Smith. I, I I'm really, really curious. He showed a lot of good things in camp. They were raving about him during the summer and in the preseason. They played him in a lot of different spots. I think left tackle, right tackle, guard. They played him in a lot of different spots. He's going to be in the mix. And I I like the traits there. Uh, I, I, you know, he, he may be just more of a, you know, maybe he becomes just kind of an Anthony Collins guy where he's just a swing backup tackle emergency starter throughout his career and an effective one in that role. But I'm really curious to see. He's probably not the favorite right now, but that's a guy I'm really, really going to be watching closely in terms of what he does this summer. Yeah, I just don't know if I had to pick one or the other right now. Um, I think a coward's answer is 50-50, like Eli Apple versus rookie cornerback, but it wouldn't shock me if they gave Deontay Smith the first chance just because of what he showed last year while Carmo was still kind of playing keep up. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they left that position open. I think it's a position left guard that either one can feasibly fit into so long as they put in the work to adapt to that position. I think they like what Carmen did more on the left side than the right, whatever they tried to do at right guard. It just didn't really work out for him as a rookie, but they had Deontay Smith playing left tackle. That's where he played in college and he competed at right guard. So they know he's got the versatility to work on both sides of the center. But I just think of what the work that Smith put in last year, if he didn't get injured, who knows how much he would have played at guard because they just desperately needed someone at right guard, then I don't think they're going to devoid Jackson Carmen chances. But at this point, it wouldn't shock me if Smith gets that first chance. And if he gets that first chance based off what he did last year, it's hard to see him giving it up compared to like maybe Carmen, where Carmen would always leave the door open because we just don't know how much he's progressed. It's true. I, I know they want that. I know they want that second round pick to pan out and rightfully so. Um, and they need to really, you know, that's, while they they shored up three other positions on the offensive line and they they seem to be in good shape at left tackle that is the glaring weakness and glaring issue on that offensive line and if they get that figured out by someone competent whether that is Spain one of those second year guys or maybe a rookie you know then again we're talking about this offensive line potentially improving by leaps and bounds from last year which is which is a good thing so uh let's see what else we've got i think we had some texts let me scour through that do you see one that's uh that's appealing to you john so where where was that it's just a lot of talk right now about oh yeah it's david mulligata in general because he's not only jesse bates's agent oh. but he's t higgins's agent too and i think we kind of touched on this like a couple weeks ago like the the dynamic and the potential relationship between Mulligetta and the Bengals right now. Um, but, you know, I, I think the the statement that Blackburn, Katie Blackburn made on Jesse Bates and, that, and those ne- negotiations, I, I think that's it, it's worth putting some stock into, honestly. Just the fact that even though the franchise tag deadline had passed in early March, it doesn't mean that that door is completely shut. I, I don't know how much closer they're going to they're gonna get are there negotiated price? I don't know if they're, if they're going to reach a compromise anyways, but I do think that unlike maybe some franchise tags in the past that they're going to work until the very end of that July 15th deadline to try to get something done. Here is a fun one from Taylor uh, at Taylor at underscore Taylor Cornell. 
Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, can you please rank the following days from bad to worse? April Fool's Day, winter solstice, January 2nd, uh, and the Monday following a Bengals Sunday night football game. This is a great question. Um, I would say it, from the from bad to the worst, I would say... I'd say uh, April Fool's Day, the Monday following a Bengals Sunday night football game, winter solstice, and January 2nd is usually the worst. Um, or even even sometimes late into January 1st, depending on how hard you went on New Year's Eve, right? <laughs> I was thinking about this. I didn't know when to bring it up, but I had put some thought into this. And I agree. People don't like April Fool's Day, but it's very harmless to me. So that's, I guess, bad. It's the least worst, if you will. Winter solstice, I don't have a problem with at all. It sometimes falls on my sister's birthday and we go out for that. But I think people generally don't like it because it's the shortest day of the year. But at that point, like the days are already short and you're just getting to like the absolute worst. But it's it's shorter by like a minute compared to like the day before and everything after that. It just gets brighter as the day goes on. So I don't really have an issue with winter solstice. It's also right next to Christmas, which is just a nice time of year. Mm-hmm. I, I think then the Monday following a Bengals Sunday night football game, just because it's just like a, it's a long day and you had a long night. And uh, for us, we have to write during that. So that's not ideal. There's just no, there's no value of January 2nd. It's just, you either go back to school <laughs> or you go back to work. It's just completely unimportant. You're basically just, you're, you're you're completely drained from the holiday season and then New Year's. So January second, by far, I would say is the worst day. Yeah, that, that I would agree with you on that one. Uh, let's keep it rolling here. This is one that I saw. I don't really have. I haven't done much studying on this player, but this is from seven one three. Do the Bengals have interest in Logan Wilson's teammate from Wyoming? I think it's Chad Muma, mm. uh, line linebacker Chad Muma. Um, you know, one of those guys that would probably be a developmental. Probably a day three guy. Um, you know, to me, I, I need to look a little bit more into him. He's 6'3, 239, and ran a 4'6, 340. So, you know, uh, 428 uh, shuttle, 129 broad jump, 40 inch vertical jump. So, you know, some, some decent stuff there. But, um, you know, he'd be a developmental guy, and it just kind of depends on how the Bengals initially would want to round out. That position group, obviously, Logan Wilson took some nice strides last year. You're going to get Akeem Davis-Gaither back from injury. And this would be a guy that, um, you know, I mean, obviously, they they may pick Logan's brain a little bit on this on this guy, but they would do their own scouting. And I think it's a I think it's a fun question because of where Logan Wilson came from. But this isn't the same prospect as Logan Wilson in terms of uh, of level. He would probably be a day three guy and would be a guy that would be initially a special team or backup guy. Yeah, is he is he going undrafted? I feel like that's the only way because for the first time in 20 years like I don't see a reason why the Bengals need to draft a linebacker in the first place. That position group is stacked and mm-hmm. you have talent from the top to the bottom of that depth chart. So, I mean, even if it's like a 6th or 7th round pick, I guess it's whatever. You're basically just throwing a dart at that point, but meh, it's he's just a linebacker. Yeah. Uh, we're going to keep uh, answering some questions here for just a couple more minutes. We thank you for all of you who have sent a lot of different questions our way in a variety of different ways. You can call or text 949-542-6241. Email theobinsider at gmail.com. We've got a live chat on the Cincy Jungle post for the live Bengals Q&A post. So go, you can go there or you can leave us one in the live YouTube chat. The 
Cincy Jungle Facebook page post. We're, we're scouring those as well as on Twitter. John, where are we going next? Um, we have some more conversation about White Hubert. Derek Farad is asking, are guys like White Hubert still on the team? How does that work when a late round rookie gets injured like that? Well, since White Hubert was placed, I think, initially on the non-injured reserve or non-injury list, non-football injury list, excuse me, because it was hurt in the offseason, then he was placed on either injury reserve or he just stayed on that list because he's technically like still part of the team. Like his contract wasn't voided at all. So that's, he, he still has three years left of that rookie deal. And that's so long as you don't see a guy get released or waived when they're injured, they're still a part of the team. Just like a FYI. There is another one here that, you know, it's just, where was it? It was talking a little bit more about your Shane W about the whole mm. is Karis is Karis going to be the center? Is he going to be the left guard where he has had some? He's had more snaps and more experience at center, but the the data and some of the metrics show that he's more effective as a left guard in the NFL again. And and the question there is is that just because of a limited sample size and as the sample size would have grown there, maybe you would have seen some things balance out score wise. Or is he just more effective there? And maybe the Bengals are just kind of playing coy and he is the left guard and they're going to go after a Linderbaum, maybe see what happens with JC Treader after the draft. If there's something that happens uh, that they can get him on a friendly deal. I don't know. That That's not how they do business, honestly. Like I think they signed Ted Karras to be the center for the reason of signing Ted Karras to be the center. I don't like if you're picking 31st, you have no idea if Linderbaum's going to be there. Is Linderbaum the only center in the draft who you would consider starting over Ted Karras at center? Is he the only guy that you would consider moving Ted Karras left guard? They introduced him as the center. They signed him to a center contract. He's the center. Like maybe they draft Linderbaum and maybe they make that move, but they wouldn't sign Ted Karras with the intent of then drafting the center and confusing everybody. I think people are just thinking way too far into that. But as far as the actual question, would that pairing make the, the interior offensive line too small because the arm length of I don't think Karras has like tremendously long arms. Kappa, I think, is like 32 and a half. And then Linderbaum is like 31 or something like that. It is it is rare, but sometimes centers with that arm length do have productive careers. Alex Smack, Nick, Nick Mangold are like the two obvious ones. And a lot of people believe that Linderbaum is in that caliber of talent at the position. I, it's not ideal, but I think so long as the player is good enough and he fits in the scheme, you can make it work. So I don't think that's necessarily too much of a worry, but... I also don't think they're playing 3D chess here and with the intent of moving Karras to left guard. I, yeah, I don't think so either. I think they've they've made some statements that he's going to be their center, and that's that's that. So uh, I, I think it's um, it, it's a matter of, and again, I, I do think they want to give the second-year guys a little bit of a shot to, uh, more than a little bit of a shot, but they want to give them a shot to, to win a starting position on this offensive line and be a long-term viable starter. They want to be right about one of those guys. And I understand that, but they also have to understand where they've been at a lot of these positions with some of their experiments draft wise, free agent wise, and how those have not worked. So um, it's, it looks, and, and this is why this, this is exciting. These aren't the, um, you know, uh, John Jerry type of signings with when you talk about Karras and you talk about Kappa, these are, you know, established good players. And so uh, again, I think the metrics show that Karras 
Some metrics show that Karras is a little bit more effective as a left guard than a center in the NFL, but he's still a pretty good center, and I think that is the plan here. Obviously, if they draft one of these guys, I, I don't. I, I think Linderbaum is a good is is a good prospect, and there's a lot of things there. I I think along the offensive line, the Bengals have always, always, always valued versatility. They have always valued players that could play multiple positions on the line. So seeing a guy that has been a center only like Linderbaum, I wonder how much they would actually be uh, emotionally invested in a player like that. It's true. Billy Price played guard. Um, Frank Ragnall played guard too before he moved to center at Arkansas. Those are two guys that they like. So. Yeah, Michael Jordan as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know if Russell yeah. Bodine played anywhere else. But yeah, you might be right about there. that. But yeah, it's a bad pick, anyways. So let's continue. <laughs> I, I guess we'll take one more draft question uh, from Jeg Geg. Is that a palindrome? Yeah, I think so. Um, would you take Jamison Williams if he drops? I would be looking to trade off that pick for someone who does want Jamison Williams before I would consider taking him. But I see the appeal because Higgins is got two years left of his deal probably the best athlete at the position in the draft, but he does come with an injury risk. So I don't know, Anthony, like he would obviously help for the long term, but I know we just talked about like, they're not really pressed to take a position, but should they be be considering the wide receiver with the first round pick? I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd be, I don't know how into a first round pick I would be with a wide receiver unless it, uh, you know, was something that was incredible value. You you look at uh, Jamison Williams, the, the thing I wanted to look at here at Alabama, uh, 10 kick returns for 352 yards and two touchdowns. That is the thing there that would appeal to me because the Bengals probably need a little more help, a little more juice in the return game. So if they think that this, is, this could be, and they did just lose Auden Tate, so they're probably wanting a little bit of depth at wide receiver, I, you know, if you're talking about this player at number 31, when you're talking about using that pick on a guy who would immediately be maybe wide receiver four, wide receiver five, and kick returner, I, I don't know that the value is there uh, roster wise, but, you know, that is an area that we're not talking too much about and that the Bengals need a little bit of return help. They do have Brandon Wilson coming back, but he's been injured and didn't look the same before his injury last year so you know maybe that's where this makes sense we'll see but um i don't know that if that's the role you would have this player pegged in right away i, I don't know that that would make uh sense from a value perspective yeah I'm, I'm just not really buying it but i think we can make some type of a a good general like philosophical point here because last year you know, the argument was, do you take Jamar Chase if you love the overall depth and the quality of the receiving class? But the Bengals really needed a player like Jamar Chase, and they were in position in the position to draft him. They don't necessarily need a guy like Jamison Williams. It would be a nice luxury to have. But at this point, if you continue to believe that the quality of the receiver class is legit, you're not really pressed to take that guy so early when you have other guys who are similar, maybe not the same quality, but you can take advantage of the depth of that class now that you're not pressed to take someone at that position. Yeah. Good question though. Um, and I think we I continued to pin uh, a question that we, <laughs> that's uh, been, been on there for a little bit here. Let's uh, we'll, we'll start closing up shop here. want to remind folks in case you are new here. First of all, thanks for tuning into the live show. We do listener questions live a couple times a month, usually on Friday afternoons. 
We have our standard in-depth analysis and commentary show with John and myself on Wednesday evenings for, for a live broadcast. You can join us for that. We also do kind of a headline uh, whip around the NFL type of show early in the week, usually Mondays or Tuesdays. So we're trying to get you two or three episodes, main episodes a week, as, long, as well as some other shorter tidbits, whether it's on both audio and or the YouTube channel, um, doing all kinds of different stuff, especially as the drafts around the corner, free agency has kicked off, etc. Trying to bring you all kinds of different content here on the Orange and Black Insider. And of course, OBI is part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. So you can get the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of the major ones. And of course, if you like the video, version you can go like the cincy jungle facebook page to catch the broadcast there but we would appreciate a a subscription from you on our youtube channel the logo is right beneath the sb nation cincy jungle logo on john's side of the screen there you can click that as well as the bell to be notified when new content is available and when we go live so give us a subscribe and we appreciate the support john one of the things that we've been getting a a lot of questions with uh, is about someone in here had asked about, you know, progress on the indoor practice facility. We can do a brief update on that. We talked about that on Wednesday. Uh, and then of course we got a voicemail, uh, from someone at the five, one, three, uh, you know, if the County would come up with a retractable dome, Paul Brown stadium, because that's now going to be Katie Blackburn was talking about some of that stuff at the owner's meeting referenced the new bills, stadium situation that's happening there so just a couple of stadium and or facility questions maybe to wrap things up here indoor practice facility could you update us on that i guess to at first yeah so yeah because we know something about that (laughs) yeah katie blackburn was asked um if they were considering it and they basically said we're not only considering it we're aggressively seeking it also known as we have like something on the table we're trying to work that out it's a matter of when, not if at this point, it's going to happen. Um, whatever issues or logistics that they had to work through, it seems like they're at the end of that road. I don't know about the stadium. That's not really, I don't really have a lot of knowledge on that. I know that the lease is up in 2026. I know they have some things where they can like extend it to like five or 10 years and kind of kick that can down the road. I just remember how it i don't remember but i read stories about how it happened the last time i think mike brown might have a little bit more support from the county but the whole you know publicly funding a stadium doesn't really go well nowadays or just in general i think it didn't really go well last time nope. to see how it went with the buffalo bills and how they spent 850 million on public taxpayer money there but if the team is good enough Maybe there's more support. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even know if like a dome or a retractable roof would make it even more expensive. I think if they build a new stadium, it's going to be expensive regardless. And it's just a matter of like how expensive it is. But it, it, it's not something that you can easily get support from the public. of. Yeah. Rob Vollard here. I pinned this comment. The Bengals are selling out tickets now. That's what the county needs to see. That's a good point there. In terms of the practice facility, we talked about, about that on Wednesday pretty in depth. So go check out that conversation. I don't want to, you know, rehash the whole thing but it's a good it's a good sign for the Bengals. now paul brown stadium itself is what 22 years old 21 years old yep um so what the Bengals have done um and it's not it's definitely not known as a state-of-the-art stadium throughout the nfl as compared to sofi in la or what you know jerry's world in texas etc 
but they've they've spent a lot of money renovating certain things within the stadium over the past handful of years, whether it's weight weightlifting facilities inside, uh, you know, the big monitors and TVs outside for the fans and all kinds of different things. They've done a lot of that stuff there that has, have been kind of incremental improvements of the thing. But, you know, as you mentioned, John, I mean, this stadium is getting to be almost a quarter quarter of a century year, years old here. And, uh, you know, at that point, when you say, is it antiquated? Is it not? That sort of thing. In terms of a dome or a retractable dome, I will say this, no no team in the AFC North has one. Yeah. Um, so I, I I don't know if that's just kind of a divisional trademark thing. I don't know if that's, you know, these, these teams play in the elements and that's how they want it. They want old school football like that. Uh, but that's, that's something kind of to note. And the other thing with it is, you know, sometimes the dome uh, that could put a city in the bidding for a Super Bowl, um, you know, if, if they're in an area that has inclement weather during January, February, and so that may play into some sort of equation for the Bengals either way. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. That's Those are just kind of little talking points there about a, a, a new stadium, if that even comes to pass. Well, I feel like I can speak for all native Cincinnatians here when I say that the one thing that Cincinnati lacks, and I love the city, doesn't have a lot of space for expansion. It's located between two interstate yeah. highways. The, the city itself is already as maxed out as possible. And I think they like the fact that the stadium is on the river in between the river mm-hmm. next to the banks and next to the city, there's no place to put a new stadium unless they just tear down the old one and build it right on top of the new one. I don't know what the logistics go with that. Typically you have stadiums being built right next to the old ones. There's no room for that. There honestly is no room for a new proper right. stadium to be built next to the old one. So I could just see them kind of renovating it as they go along. And I, I would foresee the current version of Paul Brown stadium still standing for the entirety of, of the Joe Burrow era. It might look a little different based on renovations. Cause like you said, it's getting up there in age, but I don't foresee them like building like a brand new stadium anytime soon. Yeah. I don't know that that's in the works either. And I, I still don't know that a dome, even a retractable dome. I don't, uh, the only way I, I, they would do a retractable dome is if they were going to be in on a, a super bowl, if they felt that they were going to be in on a super bowl right. bid down the road, because I don't, I think they like that weather thing that, 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 you know, harsh weather playing football in that hard weather down the stretch. I think that's kind of a a trademark of the, of the area of the history of football in the state of Ohio. I think that's just kind of the deal. I don't know, but good questions today, folks. We went almost an hour. Um, Happy April fool's day. This has been a lot of fun talking about a lot of different, and this was semi-serious. I was kind of surprised. There's a couple fun questions in there, John, but other than that, I, this was relatively serious. We gave relatively serious answers. We weren't, joking around at least i wasn't maybe you were i don't know i I feel like we gotta i mean mark fry's been asking this for like 20 minutes i did not get this jacket from banana republic (laughs) but when i was searching for a jacket like this i did take a stop in banana republic there wasn't really a shop or a brick and mortar that i didn't try for this i don't actually know where i got this i don't know what brand this is i think the brand might be nope it's it's probably on the tag but not a banana republic but I don't know where I got it to be honest with you. It's so is it is it vintage? Is it vintage or is it is it actually? I don't think uh, it's vintage. I just I just like the look of like the khaki. Like I think Burrow wore something similar to this when he went to the UFC fight in uh, Columbus last week. So I mean he's copying my style at this point. That's right. Look at you, John Shiesty. I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, let's get on out of here, John. Have a have a good weekend, my friend. Uh, this has been this has been a blast talking with the with the people answering the questions. Yes, yes, yes. I'll talk to you next week, man. 
All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. This has been Listener Questions Live on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Get this show on your favorite audio streamer and, of course, on our YouTube channel. And we will see you next week with more material. Take care.